I'm here with Tony, Director of Mental Skills at Impact Sports Lab and My360 Mindset. And one of the most common questions we get from parents, but also athletes, is understanding the difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack. I'd love to hear your thoughts in terms of how they can understand and process it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, there's a, a stat out there that says about three out of every five people uh, suffers from anxiety. And I joke that it's because the other two aren't reporting it. And anxiety is an incredibly human and important feeling in the body. It is a crucial safety mechanism. If we didn't have anxiety to a certain extent, we'd be those reckless teenagers that are playing in traffic without any fear of being hit. Anxiety has a lot of benefits for the body, but yes, it can get overboard into the hot zone, I call it. And that's where you start to see things like anxiety attacks. But that necessarily doesn't mean that it's the same as a panic attack. So just simply put, panic attacks are the nervous system's alarm centers just going overdrive. This is the classic fight, flight, and there's also freeze and collapse responses that you hear about. Feeling backed into a corner, brain just shuts down and all you can do is just get out of there or try to fight to save yourself. Sometimes you even freeze. You literally cannot move your body. It's like a deer in the headlights description, or sometimes it's like the possum that the whole nervous system just collapses. Now, this is an intense flooding of adrenaline in the body, and your body only has a certain amount of adrenaline stored up, so panic attacks actually can't last forever. And this is an important thing to know when you're working with a panic attack, because anyone that's ever had a true panic attack can really feel like you're going to die. It is that scary. And it's important to know that you aren't supposed to be fighting those, that they have an expiration date. Most typically can only last up to 30 minutes. If you are having them that are longer than 30 minutes, it's most likely that you're having multiple back to back. Because again, the adrenaline reserves we have in the body, they burn out. But anxiety is basically the same as stress. And you can be stressed out all day, every day. Anxiety is simply worry. What are you worried about? And you can be constantly worrying about the future, about how the past might come back through like regrets, things like that, or even just being in the moment and present and not happy with the situation and worrying what's going to happen. The problem with anxiety, again, is that it doesn't ever have to go away if you don't do anything about it. And if it gets to too high of levels, our body becomes tolerant of it. It can basically put up with that. For those that live in cold climates, the cold doesn't really bother them anymore. But you take someone from a hot climate and stick them out there, they're going to notice it. Well, people who are constantly stressed go into this thing in their body called allostasis. It's basically just their baseline, their everyday feeling is now stressed to the max and they just don't notice it as much anymore. But like a car riding on high, high RPMs, if you're constantly in the five, 6,000 RPMs, it doesn't take much to put us into the red. Whereas other individuals, maybe we idle around a thousand RPMs and it's going to take us a little bit more if we're not in that allostatic state to get into the red zone, the intense anxiety that could eventually lead to a panic attack. So again, just to reiterate, anxiety is that stress and worry that builds up. And if the body truly feels like there's no other option except to fight its way out, flight, completely freeze or just panic and collapse, it will hit the panic button. And at that point, there's really nothing we can do about it. We do the lean-in approach. We do not fight panic attacks. We remind ourselves that we're safe. We're having a panic attack and we will get through it. And that tends to be able to bring a 30-minute feeling of death to five minutes of extreme discomfort. And then we work with the resulting anxiety after that. So is there something that somebody could do that gets these often in terms of getting ahead of it? where they know that there's a trend, I've got a, a tournament or a game or a team that we always compete against that gets me really going. So is it a night before? Is it a morning of? Is it an hour before? 
to maybe reduce it. There's a trick. It's expect a panic attack without fearing a panic attack. What I, what I mean by that is we are going to naturally have that twinge in our stomach, the slight heart murmur or a little skip of a beat that initially sends our mind into panic. Oh, no, it's happening. Especially if the whole time leading up to that tournament, we're hoping it doesn't happen. And the weird thing about psychology is a lot of the times when we're really trying to make something not happen, we end up making it happen. It's called self-fulfilling prophecy. So a lot of the times, if you're petrified of having a panic attack, your body is going to predict that it's going to happen. And eventually it's going to make that prediction come true because that's how we're wired. We need our predictions to come true for safety. And so basically a good example of this is you wake up thinking it's going to be a horrible day. We really want our predictions to come true on a deep, deep level as people. And so you go through your day, maybe it's a normal day, but all you can remember when you lay your head down that night is the one thing a friend said to you that, that bothered you or the one thing that you lost. And now the whole day with all the prophecy is fulfilled. It was a bad day because that's how memory works. And panic attacks are the same way, same with anxiety. If you expect it to happen and you fear that it's going to happen, you're going to do everything you can to prevent it. But that's going to make the panic attack happen because you're keeping it in the front of your mind. It is now, instead of a possible threat, an imminent threat. What you should do is, if it happens, I'll be able to handle it. And that is a much more confident and controlled way. And actually just a message to send to your body that I have this, that we don't need to panic. We don't need to hit the alarms. If I get that little feeling of anxiety, that little twinge in my stomach, the little worrying thought that pops in my head, I expected it and I'm not afraid of it. So I can, I can deal with it. So it's really the acceptance piece is important and yes. the self-talk. Yes. I cannot tell you how many times someone comes in with true panic attacks and once they learn one, what they are, two, that there's a limit to them, and three, the lean in trick, you start to naturally see them fade away because the body learns, I don't need to hit the fire alarm. Everyone in the school is safe and they're in control. So can you share some signs that maybe seem obvious to you, but not as obvious to others in terms of like when I think of nerves and the things that I've experienced as when I played a sport, whether it was a heartbeat or starting to sweat or your hands start to shake a little bit or you just start getting a little fidgety. I guess, is there a difference between feeling anxious and feeling nervous and what can they look for? This is where teammates, coaches, caregivers, anyone that is a social support or the person I'm working with can really help in the beginning because it's really easy to notice the signs from the outside. I'm sure any parent that has had an anxious child can see the nail biting a lot of what's called self-soothing behaviors. So it's basically anything that's comforting for the body. Sometimes people will rhythmically pull their hair or just like overly pull or rub it. They'll also do rocking. You see this a lot with just different types of individuals with different anxieties. You see hand wringing or just tense muscles. And sometimes you'll just see like a flat affect, just a, a stone look on someone's face because they're so in their head. Another one is biting their lip or just anything related to like picking at skin, anything like that is are very common signs of anxiety that the person doesn't notice they're doing until they're pointed out. It's almost like a tick. And when it's involuntary and you don't notice you're doing it, but it helps ease the body's anxiety, the body will now develop habit and keep you doing that. But unfortunately, it only eases it a little bit. And so it just becomes a habit that doesn't ever work anymore. And that's how you get these long lasting anxiety behaviors. So it's important for people around you to point those out first so that you can be mindful of them and try to catch them. And really the only way that you can try to do these are when you feel anxious, that, that feeling of maybe just sinking in your stomach, the cold sweats, a lot of people describe them through their palms, armpits, just any areas that sweat, tension in the jaw, and just racing mind, feeling overwhelmed, almost like just flooded with just so much pressure and weight. 
is a sign that you're most likely really anxious and potentially going into that panic zone. So what we do is we want to always start with the body first, get the nervous system in rhythm. When we breathe in, we're active. When we breathe out, it's at rest. But the body doesn't want to just be at rest. It wants to be in rhythm. So that's why we do rhythmic breathing. Inhale for a certain amount of time, pause. Exhale for a certain amount of time, pause again. That puts the body in rhythm, which then calms the back of the brain, that whole fear center we're talking about that handles all of this anxiety and panic, and it gives us the keys to the car. Once we're breathing and in rhythm, then we get to use our mental skills, like good old self-talk, shifting the negative to the positive, challenging some of these worrying thoughts that might be a little irrational or unrealistic, and then using our imagery to see how this whole situation will play out the way we want it to. After we do that, we start to become a lot more in the moment, and we can function in the team again. And then the team can kind of pick us back up and help get us out of that internal stuck feeling that we're just two in our heads or just two in our bodies. We take care of the body, take care of the mind, and then we go back into the team. So if somebody is really prepared for their competition or performance, whether it's an exam or a speech at work, I'm curious, are they reducing their chances of having one? Or is it something that you're almost born with? Is it because of your environment? The key to all of this, is, I know it sounds cliche, but it really is about balance. Planning and preparation is amazing until it crosses over into the hyper planning. So I often talk a lot in my work about a thing called a false safety behavior. This is when you are facing a probable or even likely threat, but it's not imminent. You are going to give a speech and there's a lot of important people there. And it's possible you say something funny or mess up and everyone laughs. Is it imminent? Were you told by someone that we are waiting for you to slip up and we're all going to laugh at you when you do? That's more of an imminent threat that you can be worried about. But if it's just these scenarios playing out in your head, no matter how likely they are, we have to be careful because probable threats lead to these behaviors that make us feel better in the moment, but unfortunately cause problems down the line. Now, without getting too far in these false safety behaviors, which I encourage everyone to look into, it's just you can find them anywhere in Google, and I will talk about them later on in podcasts, but these are as close to causing mental health symptoms that we can get to in psychology because you take a possible threat, you make it an imminent one, even though it wasn't, and that causes anxiety. And when we have that anxiety, no one wants to sit with an uncomfortable feeling. So we do something to immediately feel better. Maybe we avoid the situation. People who are afraid of spiders feels really good when you leave that spider or even if you fight it by squishing it and now you no longer have to deal with that. Those are avoidance strategies that feel good now, but are you ever getting over your fear of spiders? What happens if you need to work in a pet store or you work outside where there's spiders everywhere all the time? Are you going to be able to do that? So it's up to people to realize when we're feeling anxious, we need to evaluate the likelihood of the worst case scenario happening. If it's not imminent, we really shouldn't be doing things like avoiding or even hyper planning like we were talking about, because then we think we're in control of something that's not controllable. And that ends up leading to a lot of more, a lot more anxiety and just a lack of overall feeling of power and like worth and hope. And what does it do to the energy levels of somebody? So if this happens right before your competition and you yep. said it could last 30 minutes, then and the competition is a few minutes after that. Do you need to figure out how to incorporate some power breathing or is your body regulated and you're completely fine? What happens? You can, once the panic attack is happening, again, it's just not about fighting it, but you can lessen the amount of time spent in it. Environmental control is huge. Getting out of the triggering environment and being able to take space. We all know what it feels like when we're in a crowd and we're a little overwhelmed and then we get to go to the restroom for a minute and, and catch our breath. Like that is a good example of how you can use environment 
to show your nervous system, we're good. Because your nervous system is the one that's in control during the panic attack and it is way more powerful than us. And so when you try to fight it, it's just going to think that it needs to panic more. But when you listen to it, when you listen to the nervous system telling you that they're afraid of something, it's afraid of something, it feels heard. You say, okay, I'm having a panic attack and I'll get through this. It's a lot different than fighting it. And it really might just go into one or two minutes. And while you, once you recognize that it's a panic attack, it never hurts to breathe and to have some positive thoughts and use that environmental control as long as you're doing everything you can to just not fight and just manage it and get through it. So the, the takeaways for me is that it's common, more common than most would probably realize, mm-hmm. but also just as important, I think, is that there are skills that you can incorporate to reduce it, mitigate it, and help you come out of it feeling just fine. An important thing to remember is I want the athletes and the performers I'm working with to have a little bit of anxiety. We talk about in energy management, the Goldilocks story, the cold zone, the hot zone, and the just right zone. To be in the just right zone, you have to have some activation. Anxiety increases pattern recognition, focus, like your ability to stay in the moment and not be distracted or just too low of energy and not really care, play down to your competition, things like that. And you can make some mindless, careless errors if you don't have a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of energy. So whenever I see an athlete that's not anxious at all, I get a little worried. Do you feel the pressure of this moment truly? It's okay if you're excited because that's still activation to me. But an athlete that's just ready to fall asleep on the sideline because they're not feeling it at all. There are some that can go out there and perform. I would encourage those individuals to play at higher competition levels. Um, But most athletes, if you're feeling a little bit anxious, but it's not crossing into that red zone, I think you're going to hit your optimal zone of functioning and it's going to put out your best performance as often as possible. Yeah, that's that's helpful because if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying accept it, understand that it's there, but maybe don't internalize it to the extent that you get so overwhelmed by it. Yep. Because you're going so extreme on one end or the other, right? Yep. An example that's really helpful, especially um, in the NFL, there's Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive players in the league. He talks about a term called controlled aggression. So we all know what it's like to get frustrated and have our anger seep through. Ref makes a bad call and we all of a sudden feel that anger and we just want to yell or just play too aggressive. We know what it feels like to be controlled by our aggression. But when you can control your aggression, you can use the natural talents that human nervous systems provide for us. And we can unlock that potential to use our frustration, use our anxiety, use our fear of losing in a controlled way. We unlock a whole nother level of potential that athletes just really don't get until they start realizing how to be mindful, catch this stuff and then control it. 